We're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning, continuing our series in the Gospel of John called Life in His Name. Um, And I have a question while we're getting there. Do you know one thing among many that makes a good dad, a good father? Well, he does all that he can to provide for the needs of his family, of his kids. He has their good in mind. He loves them. He cares for them. And I think we all intuitively know that so that so when we look out on our world today, we see a massive crisis, don't we? And I can't tell you how many times during just these past few weeks alone, much less during my lifetime, that I have heard and seen the crippling effect of fatherlessness in our world. And upon a family. And I'm not saying all of our troubles come from there. But the mark of a dad who is not there in a family, it crushes something inside his children. And a dad who is not there with the gospel of Jesus Christ for his children. There are no words to describe the sorrow that this can cause. Why are dads so important? Well, Jesus gave a picture of this when he spoke about praying to God. He said in Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, earthly dads who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, a dad who gives in love for his children, what is he doing? He's reflecting who we were made for. God, our Father. Because a dad who is there and a dad who is not there, is communicating to his spouse, communicating to his family and his his children something about the character of God. And in a fallen world where we have rejected God by our wills, our choices, our nature, through the first dad that rejected God, we often lie about who God is to our kids, to our spouses. But what do we need? What do we need to change that? We need the truth. Dads, you need the truth. Because there are dads who show up and play ball. And there is a there is the dad, God the Father, who shows up and has played ball for you before you even knew he was playing ball for you. We need to know the truth. We need to know God, who He is. Our sons, our daughters, our wives, and ourselves need to know who God is. And God is a Father. He has one Son. And He is there for His Son. 
and loves to give good gifts to his son. And God's intention and plan before all time was to bring many more sons and daughters under his roof to rescue them and provide for them forever. And so what does this God the Father do? He gives a gift. His one and only Son. He gives us a gift. So the question is, do we believe and are we assured that he is the everlasting gift? We for him and him for us from God who would be our Heavenly Father. See, when we read this book, yeah, sure, it's a couple thousand year, years old. But it's just as, just as important and relevant today as it was then because the guys who came to Jesus, the Son of God, in the first century were posed this question. They had the same need. They don't just need earthly fathers, but much more so a heavenly father who puts food on the table for them, who gives good gifts to his children. So let's see and believe this God today. Would you stand with me as we open up God's holy word this morning? John chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 28 where Kevin started this morning. Then they, the crowd, said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our father is a man in the wilderness, as it is said, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You can have a seat. This is the word of God. You see, in Jesus, we are given the everlasting gift. And just, just to remind you and take a couple steps back of where we are in the in the passage in John, we are in a watershed conversation that Jesus is having with the crowd, many so-called followers. And at this point, they are really struggling with the reality that there is only one work of God necessary for food that endures to eternal life, and that's believe the one whom the Father sent. It's about believing the work that God has done, not trying to add more to it. <laughs> but the crowd is just like us. 
we hear something like this, believe in him whom the Father has sent. We hear this and we sometimes go, there's more hoops for you to jump through, God, for us to believe this. So this is where we start. Number one, apart from Jesus, unbelief plays just one more gift. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, just one more gift, Jesus. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Do you hear what they're trying to do to Jesus? They're trying to manipulate him. Sure, Jesus, that thing you did yesterday with the basket of the poor kid's lunch, it was fine, it was great, we, we got full. But Moses gave our fathers bread from heaven for 40 years in the desert. What do you got? Just one more gift, Jesus, and we'll believe in you. Any music fans out there? Any guitarists? How many guitars does a guitarist need? Just one more. You see, and I'm not saying guitarists, uh, sorry, I, I just picked on them because I know the joke, okay? So <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not singling them out here because this applies to everybody because sinful people everywhere, we, we don't default to believing God. We don't default to taking God at his word. That's why we're sinful. They default to believing themselves and the gods that they make with their own minds and hands. And then when the real God comes up and does something amazing, they think, well, that's pretty cool, God. Let, let's make a deal. Let's make a bargain, shall we? You do something even bigger than the supernatural thing I saw that I was supposed to believe and I was supposed to see as a sign to believe you, then once I see that, then I'll believe. Once I see Jesus spelled out in the stars in the sky, then I'll believe. It's manipulation. And in there trying to manipulate Jesus, which is an unbelievably dangerous thing to do, especially with God, they even use his own word to try to manipulate him. They are scripture twisting. And no one does that in our day, do they? Not only does the scripture say, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, which they are doing here, they are trying to justify that sin of putting him to the test by wrongly quoting scripture itself. He's, they say in verse 31, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. <laughs> you see what they did? First, they attribute the gift of bread. They attribute the grace of bread to Moses, not God. And who was Moses? Moses was sent by God to be a deliverer for the people, to lead them out of Egypt, to point them to God. But who was going to be doing everything for Moses and through Moses? It was God. 
And so Jesus states and, states and corrects them really clearly on this. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father. Every passage that they might be quoting, Exodus 16, verse 15, Nehemiah 9, verse 15, Psalm 78, verse 24 and 25, Psalm 105, verse 40, states that it is God giving the bread to the nation. Moses is not the true bread giver. He says, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. And what he says is that the manna wasn't the true bread either. So stop trying to bank it on appearance of manna, guys. And second, there is a huge irony here. Do you recall why God gave the people bread from heaven the manna in the wilderness after he led them out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery? Well, there's several reasons. One, he is a God of compassion. He had compassion on his people. He wasn't going to take them out and let them die. And he did sustain his people. I mean, he even says just before they go into the promised land, the soles of your sandals haven't worn out for 40 years. But listen to this passage from Exodus 16, verses 2 through 4. This is what happened as they left Egypt. It says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Not likely true. That's just my comment. For you have brought us out into the, this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Why? That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not that I will test them to see whether they'll believe me. The irony here is that John 6, the crowd is testing Jesus, citing the test God gave to the people in the wilderness, testing their believing him. And right here in John 6 is the fulfillment of that passage. Will the nation believe the one, as verse 32 continues, my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven, Will we? Jesus goes on to further explain in verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This doesn't sound like ordinary bread. But they don't get it yet because they say, because they say in verse 34, Sir, give us this bread always. If the just one more gift is free bread for life, then sign us up, Jesus. We don't even have to provide our name, address, and birthday to enter this sweepstakes. Do we think this way about God? I've heard, I've heard that many people see God or want to see him as a genie in the bottle. Just waiting for us to pick him up do him a little favor, and then he'll grant us all the wishes that we want. Well, 
So do we, do they know what they're asking when they say to Jesus, Sir, give us this bread always. Thankfully, Jesus does not leave anyone in the dark about this. Number two, believe the bread. The Father's gift to us. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What he's saying is the bread is already here. You don't need to multiply it from loaves. It's already here. I'm already here. The gift has already shown up, and he's talking with them. It's not ultimately a lifetime supply of baked bread that the people need. It's Christ. There are thousands, perhaps millions of people who have had food on their plates every meal of their lives. But in rejecting Christ, they perish and their food perishes with them. But not so with whoever believes Christ and comes to him. He is the bread of life. And he is the bread of life for the world. There were people in this Jewish crowd who believed. But one of the greatest errors that the people of Israel made in that day was that they and they alone would be forever God's exclusive chosen people. But there is promise after promise in the Old Testament and in the New, that God's vision of salvation is bigger than a single nation. Jesus is the bread of life for the world. Whoever comes to him and whoever believes in him is not limited to the crowd or to first century Judaism. It's a worldwide proclamation that the king has come so that people from every language, every country, every ethnicity, every culture can come to him and be sati- and satisfy their eternal hunger with the eternal thirst and their eternal thirst by coming and believing him without distinction. Whosoever will may come, as Jesus will say later. Manna was given to the people of Israel in the wilderness. Why? So that, God, so that they would be tested of whether they believed in him, but also so that they would be sustained and come to the land where God would bring his promised Christ, the Lord Jesus, who would fulfill the promise that God gave to Abraham. In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is Genesis 12, verse 3. And this passage makes quite a distinction between what we might think life is and what real life is. We have been sold a bill of goods to believe that life is just getting what you can while you can from anyone you can. And because we have bought that, rejecting God's idea of life, we've been separated from the only one who can satisfy our hunger and thirst, the only one who can actually give us real life. And we have great crowds 
following this person or that person, trying to be satisfied with whatever we happen to agree with at the time. But you know what happens. The hunger always returns. The thirst always returns with a vengeance sometimes as we race to the next pleasure. Christian philosopher and writer C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity, he said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Jesus stops this crowd in its tracks in its pursuit of pleasure and says, I am, there's the name of God again, from the Old Testament, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Real life is God's idea of life. It is an everlasting gift to be received. The gift to the world from the world where God alone satisfies our hunger and thirst by sending his Son. Do you know what gift we have been given, church? We have been given God himself. Not a puny God. A God who is able to bring dead people back to life, physically and spiritually speaking. Who gives food where we don't have to waste our lives like dogs chasing cars that aren't there. And even if they were there, would sorely disappoint us. We've been given a gift we didn't earn. The greatest of all gifts that could possibly be given to us. And it changes everything. Everything. It changes everything. We've been given the Son so that, as John 1 verse 12 says, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to what? Become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Believe the bread, then. The Father's gift to us. But Jesus says something very sobering after this great declaration. I mean, that's sober, but this is a different kind of sober. Verse 36, he says to the crowd, But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet... Do not believe. They've been given signs. And they've been told clearly who Jesus is. I am the bread of life. And the situation is still the same. They don't believe. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone and it seemed like you were throwing a pebble at a concrete wall? When we hear Jesus' command to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded us. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm tempted toward discouragement because I see the world we're living in, where there seem to be a lot of people who still reject Jesus, even though this book's been around for thousands of years and Christ's finished work has been around for thousands of years. Or people who've been, as one pastor said, inoculated with just enough of Jesus to not really know him or want to know him. Jesus is preaching to this crowd and from a human side, 
We're not told yet if anyone is believing it. We're told seemingly quite the opposite, and yet do, you have seen me and yet do not believe. The question is, does Jesus get discouraged about this? And should we get discouraged when we are seeking to be faithful for the Lord, to the Lord's calling for us? Let's be clear. It is true. Not everyone will be saved. We know that. We don't, don't like to talk about it, but we know it. Some will reject Jesus. But what Jesus knows, and what you and I need to know, for ourselves and for the giving of the good news that we've been given and we are called to give, is this. Some will believe. You are here because people believe that promise. Some will. And that's because God the Father has given another everlasting gift. You see, if Jesus is God the Father's gift to us, and in believing him we will never hunger and never thirst, number three, Jesus never loses his gift from the Father. What does he say? Verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You ever heard this? Who gives this woman to be wedded to this man? You ever heard that? Hopefully it was at a wedding. <laughs> and what's the response, ideally? Father of the bride says, her mother and I do. Do you know where we get this idea as part of weddings? It comes from thousands of years of the church looking to God the Father and the love God the Father has for his Son and seeing that Jesus is also given an everlasting gift, his church. All that the Father gives me is his church. We need to remain here a moment, church. We ought to be floored how a gracious God would want, to, would want to send his son as the gift of salvation to sinners unworthy as such as us. As the song goes, amazing love, how can it be? But here is amazing love further still. That God the Father should love his son so much as to give him a people for his own. This has been part of God's plan of redemption before the foundation of the world, as Ephesians 1 says. That he should have a people gathered from every tribe, tongue, nation, who are called by his name and given eternal life to live with him forever. Over and over again in the Old Testament, God says, I shall be their God and they shall be my people. 
And in the book of Revelation, when the new heavens and the new earth are finally established and consummated, in, in chapter 21, John, the same apostle who wrote the words that we're studying today, he says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This has been called the doctrine of election, and it is all over this beautiful book. God the Father eagerly and lovingly giving to his Son the gift of his church, giving us to him who believe in him. Oh yes, there's a human element to believing. It's all over here. Believe the bread of life. Believe the one whom he has sent. Whoever believes in the Son should not perish, but have everlasting life. Doesn't, God doesn't make a command of this stuff to mock our incompetence. He knows our state apart from him, that apart from him we can do nothing. We are volitional creatures. But we should not think that we as spiritually dead people in opposition to God, both in nature, in our very wills and our choices, could or would want to come to Jesus who exposes us for what we are and yet wants to make something beautiful with us. All that the Father gives me will come to me, Jesus says. You know what that means? It is certain. And whoever comes to me, those are the people of the church given by God. I will never cast out. This is a big deal. This is a really big deal, church. God doesn't give gifts that are revoked. God doesn't make us his children only later to disown us. God doesn't give us his son and then take him away. And God doesn't give us to his son and then take us away. See, the way this is worded, I will never cast out, is the strongest possible way in the Greek language to convey that Jesus will never, ever, 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 ever lose those or reject those who have been given to him and who come to him. And maybe in your mind you're thinking, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I have still done after being a Christian, calling myself a Christian. How can I believe that I'm still his? There will be these values in the life of the Christian. It's not called faith for nothing. As one theologian said, assurance, which is kind of what we're talking about here, is logically implied in faith, but sometimes sin weakens our confidence that our faith is genuine. But God has given us adequate resources to return to a state of full assurance. He has given us his promises, his sanctifying work, and the Spirit's testimony 
we have a right to assurance if we believe God's promises. So the question for us is this. Is God true or is he a liar? It really comes down to that. Anyone who comes to Jesus has been given to him by God the Father. And the Father is not going to give Jesus a bride where, let's use Paul's imagery of a body. He talks about the church as bodies, members one of another. God the Father is not going to give Jesus a bride where when he comes back for her, her toe falls off. And Christ gets an incomplete bride because of sin. That's not how it works. God made up this salvation. And it's up to God to keep it. And he has promised to do it. Yes, Peter says in his second letter, make your calling and election sure. But that's confirmation, not preservation. Scripture guarantees that those who trust Jesus Christ by faith are kept and are preserved as a precious gift from God to his Son. For those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8 verse 30 states, sometimes called the golden chain of redemption. And if it fails... In just one point, any point on that, then Jesus will have failed. And there is absolutely no point for you to be listening to what I have to say. And there is no point for you even being here. But Jesus' success rate is 100%. With all that he has said and all that he has set out to do. And that's not going to change. Verse 38 of John chapter 6, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is not operating as a mere man. He is God in the flesh. And His will is the Father's. And God the Father's will is that He not, will not lose any of His children. The Son will not lose His bride, not a hair from her head. There is no reason whatsoever that Jesus, who never fails, would have finally met, met His match with you if you have failed. Isn't that good news? Jesus never loses his gift from the Father. In fact, he sacrifices himself on the cross so that his gift, you and I who all and who all who believe in him, the Lord Jesus Christ, we would be guaranteed of the love God the Father has for us and of Jesus Christ keeping his Father's will perfectly. And we, his gift, might live with our gift. Him who has risen and does give eternal life to those who believe in him. And he will raise us up on the last day.
Let's believe this Jesus to whom we are given and who is given to us. In Jesus, we are given an everlast, the everlasting gift. And he never loses the gift given to him. So do we believe and are we assured that he is the everlasting gift? We for him and him for us from God who would be our Heavenly Father. These are gifts of grace and truth, church. Given to us from a Heavenly Father who is there for us and loves us greatly and always gives good gifts to his children. In Jesus, we are given the everlasting gift. God gives us his Son. He puts the bread of life on the table for us. He gives us to his son where we are never lost again. We are never abandoned. And we're never, on a, we're never again on a trajectory to perish. So look to him. Believe him. Come to him. And in believing him, have life as part of God's people. Life as one of God's beloved children. These things are written so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we would have life in his name.